0: Hey, Conquerors. Mike here before the show, and uh, just wanted to remind you all that we are on Patreon now. So if you want to help support the podcast and uh, keep allowing us to interview some amazing people from around Columbus, check it out at www.patreon.com backslash conqueringcolumbus. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy the show today.
2: You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard.
1: I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.
0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Josh and I are real excited for our episode today, and uh, we're going to kick it over to Josh for a quick intro on our guest. Hey, guys.
2: Today we got Mr. Kenny Sipes. I'll give you guys a little bit of background and bio on Kenny. He left his job as a youth pastor in 2012. He was inspired by coffee shops in Nashville to build his own, but with a special twist. In April of 2015, his idea came together. Kenny founded the Roosevelt Coffee Shop located in downtown Columbus. Their slogan is, Good Coffee for Good and they partner with a group of organizations in order to accomplish their mission of fighting the local and global injustices of unclean water, hunger, and human trafficking. 100% of the Roosevelt Coffee House profits go towards these causes, and on top of all that, they make great coffee and have some great food to go with it. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Kenny.
0: Thanks. Glad to be here, guys. Hey, we're really excited to have you on the show today, Kenny.
2: uh, How's your day
1: going? It's going good. It's been an easy day. Uh, That's good. That's That's good 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 to hear.
2: What's a typical day in Kenny Sipes' life look like?
1: Um, It looks a little different than today. Um, I'm learning to delegate. So the first couple, first 15 months, I didn't do much of that. Uh, But our staff has uh, excelled at uh, doing what they do for us and uh, allowing me a little more freedom right now to just uh, conquer all the the maintenance of the business, which before was kind of like run the counter, run on the other side of the counter send some emails, write a bill or two and go back, and um, now there's a little more freedom to delegate uh, the counter space back to the baristas and actually do some of the management from the right side of the counter. Nice.
2: And one thing I want to know eventually, and I don't want to jump into this right now, but I'd like to hear kind of what your guys' structure is in terms of team numbers and things like that, and we can jump to that in a minute. Um, I want to start, though, by talking about you left your job as a youth pastor in 2012, can you kind of talk about what really made you decide to take the leap in that point in your life and the thoughts that were going through your head that made you think, like, maybe starting a coffee shop's the right decision for me?
1: Um, yeah, I'm like looking, this could be long. <laughs> um, well, I tell you, in 2012, I started to have some clarity that I was gonna move on. And um, there wasn't any rhyme nor reason toward that. Um, my, uh, I know, in 08, I went to Africa on a mission trip and uh, took 12 students over there and uh, just kind of messed me up uh, as it does most third world country experiences will kind of give you a different perspective um, I guess I just wasn't ready for it um, I was just uh, spent a lot of time I mean just to drive four hours and just see you know shanties these two little tin roof houses you know as deep as you can see and along the road for hours and just think how many thousands of people live in that condition and so that was where I was kind of uh, messed up a little bit. And uh, you fast forward to 2012, I you know, I was doing ministry at a church. Uh, my wife had come to me a couple of years before that and said if I ever felt like I needed to move on from that job, that she was at peace with that. I really didn't know what that meant. Um, but sure enough, about 2012, I started to wrestle with that. And I uh, thought about what that might look like differently. And my wife and I went on a, a conference retreat to Portland, Oregon. Oregon, and. We uh, it was a conference that kind of was build your story. You know, kind of like what would your story look like if you made a traumatic turn, and uh, and we kind of came out. of I kind of came out of that feeling like I was supposed to do something different, that I was supposed to actually leave my position at the church without a plan. That's kind of the the clarity I got. And uh, my wife and I, neither one of us was really feeling that idea. Um, but the longer we did not do that, um, the more miserable I seemed to become, and. Um, that was in the beginning of 2012. By November, I resigned from the church without a plan. So the coffee shop was not a plan. Um, I had a heart for justice. Uh, I had, I'd had i seen how, especially as a youth and college pastor, the millennial group loved justice and responded to trying to affect that area. And so the next six, eight, 10 months were kind of navigating what that would look like. Um, and I'm sure another question or two will kind of lead to that, but I'm mean, in a nutshell, um, in September of 13, September of twelve, I went down to Nashville on a whim just to meet with a with a guy who's just kind of this uh, prayer guy, and he just wanted he wanted to pray about the situation, and I'm not going to turn that down. and And then a mentor down there, and and in that I traveled through some pretty incredible coffee shops. You know, the coolest being Barista Parlor, the the most effective. For what what happened with the Roosevelt was a place called the Well, and the Well was doing as much as similar to what we are doing as that I've seen around.
0: Right. So can we put a definition on justice, first things first? Yes. Because, you know, you say millennials like ourselves are big on justice and, of course, the Roosevelt coffee shop. Is all about social justice. So, can we can we talk a little bit about what that means to you?
1: It is funny how you say because when you, if you Google it, especially a year ago, I don't know if you Google it anymore. But it doesn't come up as related to what we're doing at all, right? Um, it, it can be a dirty word in some kind of uh, you know movements, but for us, I would say simply put, um, you know, to affect those um, with the greatest need, those that are less fortunate, and for us. Um, part of the planning process for the Roosevelt, because um, we're, not, we're not a ministry plant. That's not who we are. Um, you know, there's a guy named uh, Scott Harrison who started an organization called Charity Water. Scott says that they are faith-inspired, not faith-based, and I would say that's exactly who we are. And so when we were navigating what we wanted to do, um, we wanted to land on topic matters that didn't divide. And so the reason we chose water, hunger and trafficking was because we felt that no matter who you were, stage of life, you know, race, gender, background, financial situation, we could agree that nobody should die preventable waterborne diseases. Nobody should starve to death and nobody should lack freedom. Those those felt mobilizing. They felt like we could bring community together to attack those as a group.
0: Absolutely. You know, as, as a biology major at Ohio State, we studied a lot of those waterborne illnesses and I, I was amazed at how many there are, especially in third world countries that have not um just have not had the opportunity to like we have here in the States to have access to clean drinking water that all the problems that you can have from from dirty water, mm-hmm. from parasites that infect your feet to, you know, the diseases that'll kill you if you drink the wrong water. So I guess the follow-up question to that would be um, why did you decide on water as one of your big, you know, causes Um, in particular?
1: Well, to piggyback on what you said, I mean, you think about, like, I've been to Cambodia twice in a country in Africa called Mm Lesotho, and I would probably say I got more vaccinations than probably anybody I went to minister to or talk to or help, you know? I mean, just to make for sure I didn't get what was there in the two weeks I'd be there as opposed to their lifetime is there without those vaccinations. Um, water was one of those things when I was in Nashville, um, there's a band called jars of clay who started an organization called blood water mission. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just the way you present your group. And Bloodwater, you know, just had a great designer. Everything that they had was punchy. Their um, their annual report was incredibly comprehensive, easy to see, and, and kind of what I was trying to land on with um, our impact was. Uh, and I use this a lot, so it's probably not. I mean, it's pretty generic, but. You know i'm an old guy we won't talk about how old i am but my generation was perfectly comfortable going well here's 500 of red cross they're going to do good things your generation is more about now i need a specific my friend i want i want to i want something tangible um blood water is one of those you know it's a well it's a you know it's a sanitation device it's clean hands training whatever it might be uh clean water training but so when we were in, when i was in nashville um, this is kind of interesting. I, this is September of 12. I still didn't know what I was doing. I had not resigned from the church. Nobody knew I was wrestling with this stuff except some close friends and my wife. And um, I literally, well, I walked into an event for the International Justice Mission and somehow connected with a woman. Um, it's just a long story, so we don't want to put on blood on here, but that worked at Bloodwater. And so I just said, hey, can I come and sit down at your office? In a couple of days and she said yeah so that was monday on wednesday i just walked into uh this office of jake and Catherine, and they were like what are you doing here and i'm like i don't know i just i know that i'm being moved to do something and uh you know so this is my blank slate and i'm just conveying to you what what i'm thinking and what I think I might be being led to do, and uh, it just birthed the friendship that uh, I still get an email from Jake or a text from Jake three years later, always saying how you doing, man, and um, you know we've donated um, probably four or five thousand dollars worth of, of stuff, uh, wells and um, you know latrines and those kind of things with that organization, um, and so that birth- that was probably because of a relationship. Um, and then we're also working with a couple local water organizations now, which surprised us that there was somebody doing some interesting and different things in regards to water base right here in Columbus.
2: So there's two different questions I'm kind of juggling with, with right now. Before you went to Nashville and you were a pastor, were you located here in Columbus or did you move here? At no,
1: the- I was local. I was in Licking County at, the, okay. at a large church in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Which is, but it was just kind of this weird place. There 2,000 members and. We actually at one time had 41 school systems in my youth group Mm -hmm. because we were so, there was so much within like 10, 12 miles and people were kind of willing to travel.
2: Okay. So then you take the trip to Nashville, maybe elaborate a little bit more about what the experiences were as you were going through those different coffee shops. You said the one that really had an impact on you, and I forget the name, I apologize. So mm-hmm. Maybe talk about, did you speak with the owner that while you were there? Did you kind of integrate with people? Who no, were well, going
1: back to that, I mean, literally what happened is my dad worked for the airline back in the day and I had, I'd lost flight privileges as an adult. And then the airline he worked for got bought out and I got those flight privileges back. So as a result, I literally just said, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to Nashville on a whim and that's what i did i didn't have a plan of coffee shops i'm you know i'm a coffee shop junkie anyway um, but barista or uh, nashville seems, seems to be defined by the independent kind of cool coffee shop so i was down there you know i met with international justice mission i met with bloodwater i met with exile international i met with my mentor i met with this you know hippie prayer child guy and uh, he's just one of those guys i said to lot <laughs> of but yeah uh, you know snaps his fingers every time something's cool to him um and in that, so in between every meeting was downtime and thinking and processing and writing. And so it was just like, well, let's go, Here's a coffee shop. Let's try this. And I probably went to six or seven while I was down there. Um, and so it's funny. I don't even, my wife would remember this. When I came back not long after that, because I still don't know what I was going to do, because I, really, I was either going to go plant a church on my own, I was going to start a social justice like company, business, social enterprise, something on my own. Um, go work for one, you know, apply for somebody like Bloodwater, um, or become kind of a missions pastor because, you know, I, I was very good at mobilizing mission trips. Um, but I remember coming back from when, I don't know if it was that point in time, but I live in Pickerington, and Pickerington, it was a CC's Pizza, which fascinates me. That CC's Pizza didn't survive in Pickerington, but it went out of business. And I remember driving by one day, and my, I said to my wife, I said, we just start a coffee shop there. She goes, oh, we're not leaving your job to start a coffee shop. You know, and then fast forward 10 months later and we're starting a coffee shop. So, um, you know, I think it just was we progressed. Basically, what happens, I resigned in November. The church was going through a big launch and a vision change. And they were just like, dude, you don't have a plan. So can you like hang in there with us as we launch this? So there isn't a, so much change at the same time. And I was totally in agreement with that. And I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't really have like a walkout point. And so that was November, it was May, where we kind of kind of came to a space where we're like, okay, we have to decide. And, uh, and I had built some great relationships with um, a couple, one of the shops, and had kind of uh, been able to kind of pick their brain about what they did, and that kind of um, built a starting point for what we would do. Um, but I was just, I think I was just inspired by them. I mean, I think if you in Columbus, if you went to all, like there's the Columbus Coffee Trail, if you went to all those coffee shops, and you were a tourist, you'd probably walk out of Columbus going, this place is a great coffee town, you know, and that's kind of what we did in Nashville, or I did in Nashville without the trail card.
2: Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about how you found the causes that you want to support in terms of water. Can you talk about the food and hunger, and then also maybe um, just talk a little bit about your guys' business model in more depth and how you guys contribute to those different causes?
1: Yeah, um, so uh, I'm trying to think. As we were moving toward the plan in in February of 13, before we had done anything, I went to a thing called the Justice Conference. It's held in Philadelphia. Um, And there, about 4,000 people, and just one of those places got the the ultimate exhibit hall, right? And so, I mean, I really kind of went on the hunt, like, okay, maybe I'm gonna find a job here or whatever. And that's kind of where I landed on. um, I landed on Food for the Hungry for, International food, and we've landed on faith mission here locally for local food. Um, That doesn't mean we wouldn't expand and we don't think past those. They just, we were really, you know, I think part of sitting at a desk for 20 months waiting for the doors to open was trying to navigate toward organizations that we studied well who had long term sustainable impact. And, you know, Food for the Hungry has a like an it's kind of like, it's beyond sponsoring a child. It's more like, hey, we go into a community and we, we rebuild everything, you know, how to irrigate the land and how to teach the women and how to teach the kids and and do all of these things so that there's, you know, eight, 10 years built into this experience. And um, so we kind of landed um, that for hunger and that's um, in what third world countries Is that what they yeah mean? they're all over the world and uh, i think they're based out of arizona but the, yeah we sponsor a, a child in cambodia and um you know but we did but they just again they've got this super tangible thing we you know we've bought a dairy cow for a family in a third world country we've um bought 20 sets of gardening tools you know they teach them how to irrigate a land and it's they, they don't have anything to really do uh, anything to do the irrigation or maybe till the land in a different way. Well, then, you know, they created this, well, let's create these gardening tool sets and we can actually equip people with what they've been taught. And so um, they do great stuff in that area. And then with human trafficking, uh, probably for me started with, um, are you guys familiar with Invisible Children? Mm-hmm. You are? So, so they were uh, they were a movement, um, you know, probably in the middle of the 2000s where, um, they, they were bringing awareness to a warlord in uh, Congo, and, in Africa and, and awareness to his kidnapping child soldiers. And uh, it became a huge movement because they, they were incredibly gifted at filmmaking. So every film you watch was just moving. And um, so with us, you know, we, we definitely wanted to partner with things like that. And, and I saw my students really respond to that. We did many film screening, screenings at the church um, they weren't a faith-based thing. They were just, you know, they were just trying to mobilize as many. They did schools and corporations, and, um, you know, one. And I use this as an example. One, one of the uh, events they did nationally is they had a thing called the rescues back in 2009. And basically what they were trying to emulate was to have people come to a place in major cities and then they, they would uh, they would march around with, you know, all holding a rope just as a kid would have in Africa. And then they would go somewhere and they would sleep outside and they would wait to be rescued. So locally you had to be recognized by like a news source or a politician and um so that was all over i mean every major city in the country that happened at columbus they all met at ohio state met down at the oval they all walked over to west campus and we camped. They, everybody slept on this um the soccer field on west campus um probably four or five hundred people well i wanted to mobilize my students to do it and so we had like 85 kids sign up and i had two crazy freshman boys who came and said well let's walk from the church and our church is about 23 miles from Ohio State campus and I'm like that's that's crazy dude and they're like but won't that happen won't that like mean something like won't that and I'm like yeah I probably would so so we said yes and I, I got a friend of mine as a police officer he kind of mapped out a route we left on a Saturday the Saturday morning of the event and took about eight and a half hours and walked all the way downtown and you know two or three kids passed out and ended up going home And you know blisters everywhere and um you know we marched to the West Campus and slept on the ground, and a local politician came and recognized us. But um, I say that all to say those kids would have walked 50 miles, you know, because they, they recognized the impact it could make. Um, and I Well, think, not the three that passed out. Right. No, no, no. They, they, <laughs> they only made 17. So, um, yeah, you're exactly right. But, uh, yeah, but those kind of things, I mean, when we would do mission trips, I'd have a kid who'd rather be on a 105-degree roof than he would be painting in the shade. Um, and so I felt like – Um, And so that was my introduction into trafficking was kind of that and then you know just exploring how crazy the sex trafficking world is both in the United States and internationally and then we just started researching who would be the best people to work with and kind of navigated there.
2: Mm I feel like it's almost a cause that hits really close to home in Toledo. It's like, I don't know, it's statistics off the top of my head and somebody's going to quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure it's like top in the country for- It's top five
1: it in the country because I think there's a stat, like I think it within 500 miles of Toledo is half the country or something because yeah. of the freeway access.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. It's just crazy to think. I don't even feel safe when I go to the mall. I look like a small child, so I really stay away from the malls <laughs> and public <laughs> scenes when I'm there. You really, I can't defend myself. But let's kind of transition a little bit into, so we talked about the causes, which is awesome and laid that out. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the business model and how you guys are giving back currently, and then we can jump back into how the first shop started and everything.
1: Um, so yeah, so we are actually a non-profit social enterprise. So we we chose to do that, I think for a couple reasons. Um, more than anything, I would say, I just, um, I'm a transparent guy. I don't like people to kind of figure out who I am and make assumptions. And I felt like being a nonprofit, there's no choice, but to be transparent. Um, and so what we do is we donate to organizations we know that are actually effectively doing the work. So, um, being a new business, um, that can be very risky. So what we had done from the day one is, um, we have split the tip jar between organizations we support and the baristas and through the tip jar and people just being generous and seeing that as a way that we're navigating some of the effect that people wouldn't have, if they hadn't been in the shop. They wouldn't have been able to have that effect. Um, the first year we were able to donate a little over $18,000. So, um, this, and then the last board meeting we had, we started to navigate out of profits. Um, not that the half the tip jar is not profits because you can, you know, it, it, but it isn't, it isn't, it is an overhead and cost a good money we could make it that, but that's what we're not choosing to do. But now we're trying to donate and kind of be faithful. What uh, the receipts that are coming in the door and, and navigating donations out of that. In fact, we, we usually will try to navigate the tip jar for a couple of weeks to something and maybe donate four or $500 if we can and, this last board meeting we voted to take we took a couple weeks and we you know we were able to donate about eight hundred dollars and we were going to donate toward a uh, safe house in uganda for girls that have been sex trafficked. and you could donate you know eighty dollars for electricity and three hundred dollars for food and it was like twenty five hundred and seventy five dollars to cover the whole month's expenses and so that's what we voted to do is to just make that happen and coincidentally the director was going over we donated on Friday. She was going over on a Monday, and so she was going to be able to convey that, hey, this coffee shop in Columbus, Ohio, you know, is doing this thing to keep us ministering to you to make for sure that you guys are restored back to, you know, mental and physical health.
2: Mm-hmm. So one of the guests that we had on and we'll be releasing this episode here soon, um, a little bit before yours is going to end up coming out, and people listening to this is Mr. Alan Proctor. I don't know if you're familiar with I Alan. I do know Alan, yeah. Man, um, he talks a little bit about linking a... Low-mission, high-profit cause with high-mission, low-profit or no-profit um, causes on the other end. So did you guys take that into consideration at all when you were developing your business model? Was Alan of any influence? I don't know what your relationship is with him. You said you didn't know him.
1: No, Alan Al and I are buddies, and, uh, and he's really, I think <laughs> anybody with any business sense thought what we were doing was crazy. So the first time I met Alan, Alan said, "You're not ready to open," and I was like, "Yeah, it's too late because we got to open. <laughs> we got. I can no longer. Uh, my sanity can no longer be planning a coffee shop. It needs to actually happen. So, um, so, yes. I mean, we we he. So I forget what the question was now about Alan, but.
2: Just in terms of when you were creating your business model, did you kind of structure it off of any of Alan's advice? or Because, I mean, if, if I'm understanding this correctly, it kind of goes against his idea of the way that they should be set up, correct?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. We, here's what we found. <laughs> anybody we presented a business plan to went, yeah, I think it'll work. And anybody we presented to, here's what we want to do. We want to make impact. If we can walk into this space without securing loans, be debt free. We can save lives from the day we make the first cup of coffee, and those people gave. So, I don't know. Yeah, there's nothing smart probably about what we did, you know. And Alan always says, "Don't say you didn't know anything." Everybody says that. Well, he's right, you know. I won't say that, but I will say, we probably go against the mold of, um, of what you probably should do. (laughs) I'm still learning. That's what I'm gonna tell you.
0: Uh, You know, I think that. Almost every business owner we talk to says that, whether they're two years in or or 20. You know, I'm still learning. But uh, I wanted to ask you about, so starting back at the beginning, where did the name come from?
1: Uh, The name was kind of simple. Um, When you come out of a church experience, you have some pretty dorky suggestions like Hebrews and things like that. And you're like, no, 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 no. Hebrews. (laughs) So we... So we thought and we just we weren't getting very creative and bef- uh, we actually went on a family trip. Um, my three boys, um, four kids, my daughter was off at college at the time. So three boys and my, my wife, we went to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and then we went to Washington, DC. There's was a nonprofit coffee shop there called Ebenezer's that actually funds a local church's mission program. Um, And they've been pretty successful. Um, And there's actually a book written by the pastor who helped plant the church called The Circle Maker. And so I just kind of, here's what I learned during all of this. Just ask whoever you want to meet with and they'll meet with you. I just never got any no's. Um, And this is one of those where I emailed them and said, hey, we're coming through D.C. Can we meet with you? So in that trip um we decided to do that my my kids are probably not the biggest like hey we don't want to do like an eight hour like historical monument walk or whatever so we did like the night trolley tour and as we were going through the monuments the fdr memorial quotes really riveted my wife and uh, just kind of spoke to her and and i was kind of like a I was a president nerd when I was a kid. Like when I was in sixth grade, I literally gave like a two minute speech on the president like every week on the announcements. I was that dork. And uh, so when I was kind of walking through FDR, none of it hit me as news, kind of something that I knew and it was just kind of a refreshing reminder of some of where he stood. But my wife was like, this is this is all of the kind of things that you would say. And as we were driving back, you know, she said, you should name it the Roosevelt. And I'm like, that's stupid. And, uh, and then we brought it to the board and the board was like, kind of good. And we were just looking for that memorable name that was just kind of like, and it's just really refreshing and encouraging just to see things on social media. where like, hey, I love the Roosevelt or going to the Roosevelt and to think, you know, at birth out of, you know, there's a conversation driving home from D.C. So not named after the Roosevelt's, but definitely inspired by some of what my wife saw.
2: That's a great story. So kind of jump into from there. You talked about there was a lot of planning that went into the coffee shop. What was the process like of, you talked a little bit about what you were going to support. What was the process about sourcing the products and kind of really getting things off the ground? And then finally you just drew the line and said, hey, we're going to open. So kind of take us through that.
1: Um, yeah, a couple things. I mean, so, I mean, I mean, leave a ministry job. I've been there for 10 years. And then I'm going to start a nonprofit and, you know, be an entrepreneur, partner with justice organizations, know what they're doing and learn coffee because really i I didn't come from coffee either so um i mean every youth pastor seems to camp in a starbucks around the world but ultimately i didn't do nothing so it was kind of self-training on all of that from day one um and so for the coffee i uh, uh what i did is uh let's see i left the church in july so about august september i started um i just I just started emailing every great independent roaster around the country. I said, would you send me samples? And then they would send me samples. And then I started to create, um, like, this is going to happen. Um, I just started having pop-ups at my house. So I would just, you know, brew an a Chemex form coffee at the house with roasters that had given me their stuff. And people would just come by. And sometimes I'd have three or four people pop in. And sometimes I'd have 15 or 20 pop in. Um, but it became a habit. Like I try to do it every week, just to make sure that the Roosevelt started to become something that was memorable and that they would notice on social media, and that we. And I feel like we really did brand well. Um, exasperate. We exact I say we were exasperated with how well we branded, and yet we weren't open. Right? It was just kind of like there were many people who thought we already were open. You're not open. I see it all the time. Um, so as we kind of. Progressed there in January of 14. Um, they were talking 15 months before we opened. Um, a friend of mine right before this, the one of the organizations we support called Grace Haven, a friend of mine was working for them and meeting with the landlords of the space that we were in. And they just kind of casually said, hey, we have this big space. We kind of would love to do something like a coffee shop in it or not. But we don't know. And my buddy's like, I know a guy that's looking for a space. Because until that point in time, I was convinced we are going to be at Ohio State campus. I just, you know, it's kind of the bread and butter. Um, I would rather sit with your age group than my age group. I was at a wedding this weekend. They made me sit with my age group. I'd rather sit with your age group. And um, and so I just, that is my bread and butter. And it just, we just, the doors would not open there for month after month after month. And that was a long part of like the beginning of the search. Um, so January 14, about six months into looking for a space, met with these landlords, it went well. Uh, it progressed towards something that could work. We did not sign a lease until June. Building plans probably didn't get fully accepted and done till the fall. And the first thing we were able to construct was in November. And then we just had some construction delays right toward the end of November. And then that just delayed, you know, December and contractors and everything else delayed us till January. And then we were just working our butts off to get the door open as soon as possible. So really for us, it was a matter of meeting, passing inspection. I mean installing everything we needed, getting things running, passing the inspections. I mean, literally the health inspector came in on April first. She inspected everything. And this is after building inspection and passed and plumbing inspection to pass and electrical inspection and passed. And she she signed off on us and it was like eleven thirty and I said, When can I open? She goes, You can open anytime. We opened that day. We opened like an hour later. Um, cause we, we needed to turn receipts, <laughs> you know, um, and we were in a really fragile place. Um, you know, it was kind of like, uh, there was only so much capital we felt that like we could leak before it was really going to hurt us. And, um, some really incredible things happened the first couple of weeks to kind of give us some hope. And, you know, from there it went.
2: And you took no investors during that entire time? Where did the capital come from to start the construction? We
1: just fundraised.
2: Wow.
0: That's awesome. So yeah, the people so mostly around Columbus, or was it from
2: people everywhere?
1: Um, mostly around Columbus, you know. We did a couple, we did some interesting fundraisers. Uh, the shirt I'm wearing is actually from a fundraiser, there's a site called Cotton Bureau, and basically you put up a design of your own shirt up there. If you sell 12, they'll print it, if you sell 25, you make the profit off of it. And so it's really built for designers, but I, I kind of figured out, like, well, let's just do it. And we sold between three episodes, probably sold about 300 shirts on there and you know, made about 10 bucks a piece. You know, there's three grand. I had a friend of mine who owns a polo company. So he did like a polo match and charged $20 a car. And you know, we probably pocketed about $1,000 from the cars that came to the polo match. And then everything else, um, we had a couple of guys who donated at a pretty significant level, but I would say, you know, 75% what we raised was everything from I actually went to a wedding this weekend, and the kid that got married has been, just, has been given a $5 donation through PayPal every month since we you know started. And those little things have just been incredible.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for listening today. We're just going to take a really quick break to support Columbus, Ohio native Lewis Howes. Who is bringing an amazing event back to the city September 29th through October 1st, the Summit of Greatness. At this event, Lewis is bringing together some of the most inspiring leaders in the world to speak, but most importantly, the event's designed with the individuals attending in mind and at the forefront to help him get the most out of the weekend. You can listen to Lewis describe it himself at thesummitofgreatness.com. You can also find the itinerary there, the list of speakers, and pick yourself up some tickets. Thanks a lot to Lewis for bringing this back to Columbus, and without further ado, let's get back to the episode.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really inspiring to see all these people come together around a cause that they believe in like that. And um you know, a question I had while we were talking about this was early on, even with the fundraising, you said you were having trouble turning receipts and uh getting the business going. Was there ever a point that you were worried that you might not be able to finish what you started?
1: Absolutely. Um <laughs> um yeah. Where do I start? I, I would say the two biggest episodes were we finally got the floor to go right. So we finally—that was like the biggest installation. We had to do coffee equipment and stuff, but you know we felt pretty good about that. Um, so we were laying the floor. And we had this really thin, uh, you know, forgive all me for all the contractors who might listen to this, but there was—we had to lay the floor with with a bit one eighth inch luan because there was so little space to lay the floor. So we put down this on and uh, we glued it down and then we were fearful that it was not gonna adhere to the plywood, so we we just, I mean, we put five billion staples in all of this stuff, right? So we lay the floor, they lay down the first third of the floor on like a Friday, it's beautiful. And um, I go to church on Sunday, I'm like I'm gonna go in just see how things, you know, just go in the shop and I go in and the whole floor is pulled up. Like, it, it didn't take. It pulled the on five billion staples right out of the floor. So, we had to pull everything. So, you know, I'm thinking, okay, there goes thousands. You know, that's that's about a $1,500 strip without installation. And I'm like, okay, so we' pulled that up. And we had to literally pull all those five billion staples up and start over again. And, and, I mean, that about broke me. I mean, that really broke me. And then early 2015, before we opened, we were just, there was just... There was just too many overwhelming, like financial things coming at us, and uh, and I was a mess. And um, I mean, I called on some people, and uh, you know, just got a little bit of donation here, and a little bit of donation there, and uh, and literally when we opened the doors, there was this space where like, man, this isn't good. And uh, we literally had, um, I had a lady come in on a the first week and just walked up with a thousand dollar check. And um, the, same, the same week, another guy came up and bought a bagel and donated $1,000. And we just had that happen like two or three times the first couple of weeks, and it was kind of like, okay. And, and all of those things kind of helped us stay ahead, and then Columbus has supported us from the get-go.
2: So following up from that, do you think that your role at the church and the relationships that you were able to build during that period – Helped you guys in those first couple weeks, or who were these people donating money? Who was the person who bought the thousand dollar bagel? Were they just randoms?
1: That, well, that was like a friend of a friend of a friend that I knew. You know, uh, the lady was somebody at our church who just quite didn't get it because there's some, you know, there's some close mindedness of what church people should do, and I don't fall into that category. So, but once she saw how how exciting it, it could be, you know, that kind of motivated her. And we just had some other people. You know, we had a film crew come. And uh, I mean, we got, what I learned when we first opened, I didn't know this, that you can't get on the do not call list as a business. You know, so we just got spammed like crazy. And I got a call like the first couple of weeks and they said, hey, we're a film company from Indianapolis. We want to do a pharmaceutical infomercial and use a coffee shop as the backdrop. If you'll allow us to use your space, we'll give you this much money. And I'm like, really? Like, you know, so I'm like Googling this organization and you know, this company, they're legit. And sure enough, they came through about 10 days later with 25 actors filmed in the shop, bought everybody's coffee, and gave us significant money. Um, so, yes, so that. that And then here's the deal with, the, with especially my relate to church and, and the people there. I'd spent 10 years there. I had led 16 domestic or international mission trips, you know? So I had led hundreds of kids overseas and, and into the ghetto. I mean, East St. Louis, West Memphis, I mean, the worst of the worst and i brought all her kids back (laughs) to simply put and and i I hopefully i left a lasting impression by what they were able to accomplish by going into you know into the hood and redoing a roof in a area that that roof would never get redone Um, and in all of that i think i built a reputation with the parents of those students um, and the students themselves that if I was moving towards something like this that aggressively and uh, and believe me I would have stayed a youth pastor till I was 90 if they would have let me so it wasn't like I was unhappy I just knew I was driven to do something differently so um, so yeah so just I think I'd build a reputation of the people who knew me that it made it easier for them to be confident in what was gonna happen
2: so you guys get the shop open and start turning receipts and getting things going are there any more hiccups down the road as you move forward or have things been pretty smooth over
1: um yeah i mean there was there was some hiccups there was a uh, pretty significant unforeseen invoices we just didn't know we're going to come down the pike um that just threw us for a loop you know because we're just starting to stare at numbers for what we knew we would have to you know we, we knew our coffee numbers and You wouldn't believe the milk numbers, you know, but they're huge. And I always like to show the milk invoice to like a college kid and they're like, what? Um, You know, but, you know, we knew overhead and rent, but, uh, you know, um, utilities were much higher than we anticipated. Um, So, yeah, there was just kind of, I guess for us, what really spooked me um, uh, was the unforeseen, like just like those things that would come up and uh it just took me a while to build the moxie to go okay those are going to happen and i'm built like that i'm I'm built like okay you can hit me and i'll be okay but for some reason i just because you know i went into business at 48 years old with four kids i gutted my retirement i i gave away a salary that would have sustained me until as long as i wanted uh i was making half of what i was making um so you know there's a lot of pressure. There's still a lot of pressure in the home front about, you know, did we dig too deep of a hole personally to take care of our family? Um, and so all of that's kind of weighing on there. And then, I mean, to, to be honest, um, it was just it – was, it was funny. I, yeah, looking back, we will always look at the first year of the Roosevelt like, holy crap, look what we did. But, you know, by September, our – great dog that was invincible died like broke his leg broke her leg and we had to put her to sleep within an hour and a half two months later my dad died and then my son's diagnosed my 17 year old son's diagnosed with a chronic disorder that today he's now taking chemo pills to sustain this connective tissue disorder that he's been given so you just think you're just like trying to carry all of this and have effect and there's great impact and then there's just stuff going on you know so um, those things just weigh on you, you know. So everything, so everything that you just learn to roll with. It's kind of like we did this on risk, you know. And as a man of faith, there's no reason to have faith if you don't risk. I mean, people, I just have faith. Well, have faith in what? You know. Well, if there isn't, if you aren't willing to risk where you have nothing to depend on but faith in whatever you think is out there, but that, that's faith. And so, the last year's been about the unforeseen. You know the unforeseen finances that we didn't know we would have to be. You know the unforeseen dog death, an unforeseen father passing away, an unforeseen son getting sick. So um, those are the things that kind of just keep pushing through and navigating through.
2: So faith, were, <clears throat> faith was obviously a strong building block for your time to make it through those things. But did you have any significant mentors? Is there anybody that really stuck out within the Columbus community that stepped in and maybe not only helped just you individually, but helped the coffee shop in general?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Um, yes, I, I, again, it goes back to, I mean, I said it simply a few minutes ago about everybody I asked to, to meet and met. Okay. I mean, literally I went, Ethan, my oldest son and I went to that justice conference. It was put on by a guy named Ken Weitzma who wrote a book called Pursuing Justice. And uh, as we, he, this was in Philly, he lives in Bend, Oregon. So we're walking through the line just to kind of get the book, you know, you know, the, the, the autograph, whatever. I just stopped him, and this is right in the middle of all this planning, right, 2013. I said, hey, if I came to your house, would you give me a day? And he said, if you come to my house, I'll give you a day. So I, I uh, so eventually I would end up at that guy's house. On another trip, I was at a, uh, it was at an event, a blood water event in somebody's house, which was another long story of how we even got there. And as we're getting ready to leave, this guy says, Hey Kenny, how do I know you? And I'm like, I don't know. So we went back and forth and eventually figured out that um, he was 21 Pilots band manager. And I was kind of a, the old 21 Pilots fanboy. And, you know, Josh back in the day played in our worship band for for a few months at, at the church I was at. And we kind of were friends. And, uh, and so out of that, I told Brad what I was going to do. And Brad said, Well, let's meet. And so we met. And then his daughter was marrying a kid and they were involved in ministry out toward west in the west and the the, his future son-in-law's dad had planted a church in Salem, Oregon and they built a four-story building that was housed like a 2,000 square foot coffee shop and he said if you want me to put me in a conversation with you I can set it up. So in that trip I ended up meeting with that pastor and then the manager of that shop then actually stumptown is one of the coffees we service really came out of that conversation and then went to bend oregon and sat with ken whitesma and uh but locally everybody i asked would meet with me so um you know i think for me our board was built out of passionate people that knew what i wanted to accomplish and were aligned with me so they were really kind of my anchors when we were building up my Board president is kind of like uh, the MacGyver; you can just do anything. So he kind of carried us through that, um, you know, and he carried me. And honestly, um, I've become super close with Joe DeLoss at Hot Chicken, um, and you know, he just we ended up in a conversation over uh, coffee at uh, Upper Cup, and we had a great connection, and then it just became this mysterious business mentor that I did not expect. You know, um, I, I I remember. There be times I be at my house and I just feel like a man stuck in his house. It's not a good thing. And you do that for 20 months to plan something you hope that it will work. And uh, Joe would just randomly call, just be like, "Hey man, are you you ready to shoot yourself? Are, are you all right? You're all right." Like I'm like, "No, I'm not all right." He's like, "Well, let's talk about why you're not all right." Um, you know. So and those relationships are occurring. It's very interesting. I just I just put together. A list of potential board members to bring on to our board just say hey these are some people I'd be willing to bet he'd be interested in and they've all been birthed out of the Roosevelt and they're all movers and shakers in this town just because they have aligned with us in what we've done who's on the
2: current board can we talk about that are you allowed to mention those names
1: um I don't think I'm yeah it, nobody famous <laughs> a bunch of blue-collar <laughs> dudes you know that uh, I, I knew from you know church and, and relationships from that so you know, couple an, another old fart like me, and then one in between, and uh, three millennials. And so, um, you know, trying to keep a, a and everybody with some different gift sets. So you know, you got the construction guy, and you got the accounting guy, and you got the justice girl, and you got the community guy, and you got the secretary. You know, the structured, you know, secretary person. So uh, we're just in a space where we 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 need to break a tie in the number because two of us, uh, myself and another of the board members, because we work in the shop, we are we out. Uh, come off as voting members and so we need to add to that group
0: right so what are your plans for the future of roosevelt coffee house
1: that's a good question um i would say um we're still figuring that out um you know we as a board i i know this sounds super i don't know what it sounds like we're not willing to take on debt so you know, if it would, if we needed to take out a loan for 150 grand to create a second space, it's not going to happen. Um, but if somebody wants to come to the table and work with us, what that what that would look like, you know, to anchor their space because of the reputation that we've built and we feel like we could bring something that's positive and allow them to participate in the impact we're doing, that's that's a conversation we've had and we we will continue to have. Um, and then, you know. You know, I think five years down the road, we'd love to be a roaster. Um, I've got a couple guys on my team. They're incredible. you know they're they're the the con, they're, they're the what are they? They're the coffee nerd coffee geek dudes of the, you know the area, just like you know every shop's got those guys and these guys would be great at that. And you know, I think it would be pretty sweet to have the Roosevelt roast and and do some super things with that. But um, much like what we did with our shop, we want to be great. So, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't go in as a mom and pop, just kind of like, Hey, let's wing it. We really, uh, we hired well, uh, we hired coffee guys and, um, we studied coffee well, cause we just, we knew, we knew the cause would sell itself. But it doesn't necessarily mean a lot if the product isn't very good. So, you know, people would come in and go, yeah, I love that. Guy. Those guys do a great job. But, yeah, the coffee's not so great. So we, we really came to the table hard with a great product, which I think has built a reputation because I think 50% of the people that walk into the shop have no idea what we do other than make coffee, they just think that's what we are. Um, and we would want to go in with that same mentality in roasting, you know, we would send our boys to the, there's there's a Roasters Guild of America, there's some birdie nerdy coffee things going on in the World Boys. Um, one is the Specialty Coffee Association of America, and then there's the Baristas Guild and the Roasters Guild, and so we would put them into that space. Nobody would care but us, but they would. <laughs>
2: So you mentioned that obviously a big challenge would be taking on debt. Is there any other challenges that you would imagine? Would you guys stay in the Columbus area? And I don't know how much these thoughts have even gone through your head in terms of a second location, but has anything else really popped up where you said, all right, even we do get this funding, you know, this is going to be a huge hurdle for us to overcome? Um, I
1: I probably would stay local first. I feel like there's some, I mean, it's interesting. There was, uh, this number's old now, but in like in like Manhattan and, and, and surrounding New York, Manhattan area, there's like I can't even remember. I want to say there's like 700 independent coffee shops. There's more independent coffee shops than Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks combined. Um, so that means that there's space for that to happen. Like brioso opened across the street from us, and it's been advantageous to both of us. You know, you go to Short North, and you're in walking distance of imperial Mission and One Line are all within three blocks of each other. So I think there's space to expand within the city and have impact because even even if we move just on the other side of the river, I think there's gonna be people who are like, oh, I had no idea, this is what you do. Um, the the only thing, there is it's funny you mentioned that, there's a guy named Jeremy Coward. he's an, an international photographer based out of Nashville, and uh, I would love to be a part of what he's doing. He's doing a Kickstarter right now for a thing called The Purpose Hotel, and uh, he's building the whole space to be, um, effective for people in need. So like, you'll have free internet in your room, but if you want to get the better internet, if you pay for the better internet, it'll provide for help for a restoration of a human traffic victim. There's gonna be a water experience in the lobby and that's gonna help build wells. I mean, the whole hotel is built on that. So now if he came and said, hey, would you like to anchor the hotels, the coffee experience, then we would probably have a conversation. And I feel like we could probably mobilize some support for something like that. but. That would be the only out-of-town experience I'm really thinking I would engage at this point.
2: So you get the stale bagel, but
0: if you get a fresh bagel, <laughs> right. this is what you get. <laughs> exactly. Right. Three right. kids. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you get a better bagel. But yeah. So um, kind of moving towards the end here, but some of our miscellaneous questions we wanted to ask were uh, based on the lives of people in Columbus. Some of our listeners out there. Um, we hope that some of our listeners out there are entrepreneurial-minded have the idea of starting their own business with you know maybe justice as a theme and would you have any advice to that sort of person who's thinking hey maybe i'm just going to leave my job and i have this idea but i'm not sure how to get it done
1: um yeah a couple things don't leave the job that's what i did and i thought it was super cool and super smart and (laughs) super uh i mean honestly i don't think i would have the time to invest into what has helped us succeed so i would say there is there it could have been the right thing to do i mean it's worked but uh um yeah i would say a couple things one there's all kinds of stuff going on in this town so as they said look up alan proctor you know look up for you know social the center for social enterprise um there's they're hosting an event called sea change coming up in the middle of august here and um there's a you know, there's a thing called Give Back Hack. And, um, that's a, I don't know if you guys heard of Give Back Hack. Yeah. Uh, they totally hold cool, a CCAD, yeah. and it's just this weekend where they put like, you know, students with mentors and they build businesses in 48 hours and they present them on Sunday night. And, um, you know, they, and then they navigate money to the best three ideas to see if they can launch them. Um, so I would say all of that because I didn't know a lot of that stuff was going on. I was just starting to dig in a little bit. Um, I think if you're for profit, and you are a uh, female um, or a minority, there's a, there's a economic, uh, I can't even remember, economic community development, it's ECDI, and they just have an incredible uh, space there. I joined just because they, they help for 50 bucks, they kind of walked you through like a, several hours of how to write a business plan. Uh-oh.
0: Uh-oh. Looks like uh, somebody has turned the alarm on here at the office, folks. <laughs> So uh, that, this happens from time to time. There you We're go. Actually, first time happening in an interview. So congratulations. Go. Thank you
1: very much. Um, <laughs> so I mean, so I guess do a lot of exploration. Um, I think there is there's incredible space for many more things to happen. Um, I think there there's just super creative things going on, um, and I don't think there's no I there's not any idea that I wouldn't want to hear somebody bring to me. Like if somebody said, hey, would you sit down with me? That's what everybody did with me. And I feel like Columbus will meet with Columbus. I I, I, I I sometimes kiddingly say that. I feel like if I would email the president, he would have said, well, let's meet. Because everybody I said that to met, you know, <laughs> no matter what space they were in, no matter what level of, uh, you know, notoriety they might have been in. So, um, so yeah, I would just, I would, I think Columbus is a great time for something to occur, too. I mean, there's all kinds of things happening here.
0: Absolutely. Josh and I have talked about this a little before, but we've done the same thing we we overall we're constantly emailing people in columbus that are you know doing things that we love like yourself saying hey let's meet up and not very many people turn us down
2: yeah and i haven't been in enough cities to really come up with an accurate depiction of what they would be like but i feel like in columbus most definitely there's just like this hunger amongst everybody to create something great and make the city better and i think there's very few people that you can reach out to that aren't going to give you their time and effort to contribute to making something great here in the city, which is pretty cool to check out. Um, But one thing that I'm kind of interested to hear is most of your coffee sourced locally, so why did you choose Columbus-based businesses to um, get your products from?
1: Um, So our coffee experience, we used, um Stumptown Coffee out of Portland, Oregon, which is one of the great independent coffee retailers in the country, roasters. Um, their only presence in, in Ohio, actually, was Kitty's Cakes in Durham Village, who still sells that, um, you know, but no coffee experience. And then, so, coffee's a pretty interesting commodity. So when you use a roaster, it's pretty rare they want you to use another roaster. I mean, they're gonna come in and they're gonna build into you. They're gonna train your team. They're gonna probably wholesale your equipment so you get the right equipment. So it's, I mean, if you think about it, of any coffee shop in this town, nobody's selling two different coffees. You know, Briosa sells their own. Mission used to sell, like, uh, they would do a rotating roaster thing and now they're selling their own and rotating roasters. Um, but everybody else who roasts, roasts their own. Anybody who doesn't roast usually lands on one coffee. But as we were kind of navigating closer to this and wanting to have the best experience possible, we just felt like we wanted to have a relationship locally because our justice was built like that. Like we're affecting hunger internationally, we're affecting it locally. We work with trafficking organizations internationally, we work with them locally. And so we felt like the coffee would be a model that we could do that. And we could probably convince Stumptown um, to say, okay, we're, we're, I think that's a good idea. Um, I don't think they say it was a good idea, but they said, "Well, we can deal with that." So we just approached one line. Um, We've just had great coffee experience there, hit it off well with the owner, and that relationship has been incredibly effective for us because um, most of all of our equipment was wholesaled through them, and it allows us to have a repair partner, you know, five minutes down the road, as opposed to my sales rep living in South Carolina from Stumptown having to, you know, hey, can you come up next week to work with our stuff? We've actually got a guy locally. So that's been very helpful too.
2: What does the community look like? And this is just a random question that's curious in my head of the Columbus coffee shops. Are you guys all pretty well connected? Do you share ideas with each other? Is it like a community or is it like a fierce rival and you see each other on the streets? It's like the um, I, <laughs>
1: It is, I think it's pretty collaborative. I mean, I think that's why Experience Columbus created this thing called the coffee trail. And basically, what those things, what what they asked, well, we asked as coffee shops, is anybody on that trail would meet the standards of specialty coffee. Um, might sound like a weird thing, but there are some standards um, that you know some shops are just opening and they're just winging it. But so anybody in the coffee trail meets like specialty coffee standards, and we do collaborate. Um, Mick Evans at One Line has tried to create kind of a Columbus collaborative, and it's kind of we've kind of met, we've kind of and we do explore ideas, and we're all on an email chain with Experience Columbus. You know, right now they've got a mobile media trailer that CCAD helped build that they're bringing to um, give the the media for the political candidates um, a Columbus experience. So basically, if Hillary or Trump come to town on a whim, they'll have this mobile media trailer there. And, you know, they've invited all of the coffee trail partners to say, hey, we're just going to email you. First one in can, you know, and I, I think sure there's competition. But like I said, it usually cl- coffee shops in close proximity usually amplify each other rather than deter from each other. Um, because especially coffee is kind of like, you know, it's like craft beer. I mean, you're probably going to go to. You know, strong water and land grant. You know, it's right. I mean, they're probably both worth trying um, and checking out, and they, they probably benefit each other in the long run. And coffee's much the same. Um, so, it's collaborative probably until it hurts you financially, right? But no, it's I mean, it's pretty collaborative here.
0: Right. And I feel like you know, coffee's becoming more and more like that craft beer scene where you're getting people. I mean, I, and I honestly I don't know enough about coffee to be saying that, but the more I see the coffee shops bar, the more I'm thinking that. Especially with millennials, you know, would you say that um, we're kind of getting this craft coffee?
2: Well, it's almost something you could take pride in, right? right. I mean, it's like right. almost like when you find a craft beer that you really like and then it starts to become something you match with your personality, you know?
1: Yeah, and, the more, and then, you know, we're always rotating the menu, so that's exciting to people. I mean, that's, that's why I go to other shops. I'm always excited to see what they're trying to do. And for us, I mean, it's funny because I think some of the millennials do um, camp on the local. So they usually order one line, maybe over Stumptown because of its local appeal. Um, And then some people, I think we get a lot of tourists that come in from out of town who know Stumptown's reputation. So, um, you know, all of our roasting coffee shops in town here are pretty stellar, but sometimes familiarity is more important and a tourist might go, oh, they're serving Stumptown. I know what that's like. I'll go over there. So, um, yeah, there's a little bit of each.
2: So here's one completely irrelevant to coffee, really. Maybe it'll switch back to coffee. I don't know. And I don't even know if I can ask this question because I'm stealing it from another podcast, but I'm interested to hear. <laughs> I'm going to start answer, asking it to all of our guests for here, and I like, good.
1: I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I just want to know, if
2: you could have lunch with three people, who would it be? It's not that stellar of a question. Actually, when it comes out loud, it sounds better, man. <laughs> you should
1: have said it more dramatically. Yeah, we'll, we'll add it. I'll
2: edit it dramatically in there.
1: Um, I would probably say, uh, Gary Hogan, he started an organization called International Justice Mission, which I always say is kind of like putting, uh, you know, the Jason Bournes with the lawyers, with the sociologist or, uh, uh, psychologist, um, uh, because basically they'll infiltrate maybe a Cambodia brothel for months until they finally feel like they can go in there and they've taken footage and they've taken cameras and they've done interviews. They go in and they arrest and then they prosecute, and then they take whoever they've rescued to a p- facility where they're gonna be restored for probably two or three years. Um, so Gary Hogan started that org. I would probably say him. I'd be very curious to meet with Jeremy Cowart, um, and I really feel like I could probably call it, you know, make it, make it happen. Um, and the other one right now is I, I, would, I would, I'm curious about meeting with Todd Carmichael. Have you guys seen Dangerous Grounds? Mm-hmm. It's this TV show where, you know, basically a guy tries to find, find the most, the best, coffee bean and he goes into dangerous areas. It's a little overplayed, but he started a coffee company called La Colombe and it's based out of Philadelphia. They've gotten bigger and bigger and um, they, uh, they they're, they're doing some Haiti coffee stuff right now. And uh, we, I have a girl that's interning with us that last year kind of came in the shop, went on a mission trip for like a month last summer to Haiti and then never returned. Not because anything happened to her, but because she just, Never felt compelled to come back. Then she came back and she wants to create a coffee experience down there. And uh, so I'm just soup. And this guy's adopted like two or three Ethiopian children out of his travels through coffee and is seeing the need in the world. So I'd just be curious. It sounds, it looks, seems like a guy who loves justice, loves coffee, and is trying to make a difference. So, so Coart and Carmichael and Hagen, There you go.
2: Nice. They're listening, which they probably are. We're international. Um, they go ahead and they'll get a hold of you. We're
1: not, <laughs> we're not
2: international. Don't well, them, I mean, I saw a download number in Russia
0: the other right, day. We, so. we get pings from China every once in a while, right? So uh, I guess that makes sense. Well, a lot of
1: Columbus been trying to sell me stuff, and I emailed him and said, "Until it, my, my number one priority is for me to have a conversation with Todd Carmichael. So let's start All there.
2: Right. Well. <laughs> and then, last final question we'll ask, you and then we'll let you go on your way. You know, you got a lot to do tonight. Um, our slogan is live uncomfortably because we kind of believe that successful people and people who achieve significant things in the world have, you know, lived uncomfortably for either a Significant portion of their life or maybe their whole life to get to where they want Do you feel any periods of your life? And I think I mean just from hearing your story there definitely is that you had to really live uncomfortably to get to Where you are today and where you've achieved things in the
1: past Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there is a comfortability of you when you parent four children You've been married for 25 years that you you feel like you want um Continuity and comfort and predictability, and I've stripped that from my family. I, I've taken that out. It does not exist right now. And so, um, so living uncomfortably, I think, has been kind of what we've become. And and, and even in that, when we went to that conference in Portland, um, it was about writing your story, right? And it's in every story, you know, you take any movie, it has, you know, it has a protagonist. There is the star of the movie. of movies have that protagonist has to overcome something and to get what he wants. And in that getting there, he has to make some type of, um, inciting incident. He's going to have to, for me. And so in that, when I was in Portland, it was for, for my job, it was leaving without a plan, you know, um, with my family it was being more intentional about the time i spent with them with my my mom and dad it was what if i didn't work and i had more time to give them um and when it came to justice what if we created something special and now to look back and i didn't have any idea what those plans were all of those things occurred and it took like making taking risky choices i remember sitting down um before i even had a board i had a thing called a dream team years ago i felt like the lord said hey just keep writing down people and when you want to do something this is who will come with you and so i did that and uh, i had a meeting at my house with like five or six of those people before we had figured this out and i i bought a puzzle this really complicated puzzle and, uh, and i put all the pieces on the table when we got together and i hid the box and i said let's just work on it and and i was trying to make the point that this is what this we don't know what we're doing like, we don't know, are we doing justice? Are we doing a coffee shop? Are we doing, you know, we, maybe we're just starting a business. Maybe we're not starting a business. Maybe we're gonna go back to the church, but let this is the way it is. And let's just keep piecing together until we have some clarity. And uh, and that's where we find found, I've found like as uncomfortable as it's been, clarity has been provided. The more we stay in that space of like, you know, I just don't wanna be predictable. I want people to go, what are they gonna do next? Um, so I think that answers your question, and I, and I did want to say the one thing I wanted to say is I think one thing that I would sell the coffee shop on is the Roosevelt Coffee House has become kind of a centerpiece for people to meet. Um, you know, we we seat fifty nine people, and you know, I think all the city council members meet in our space. Um, I can name three or four Congress people that have been in the space. Um, the creatives of the city come into the shop uh you know the the ccad columbus city ohio state i mean there's just there's a lot of synergy in our space and i think it's it's interesting because i'll see somebody from a pretty you know from gavin communications or hot chicken or something and they'll come in or civic hacks and they are just making travels to each table because there's so much community going on um and that's one of those things you know in the church there seems to be a lot of like you have there has to be something tangible so they talk a lot about decisions and baptisms and my tangible in church was always like i want to see the 15 year old boy when he's 25 i'll tell you then what the result is and for us when you're writing a business plan you cannot communicate Heather Whaling from Gavin Communications knowing nine different individuals from different corporations in our space at one time. You can't write that into a business plan, but it's super powerful and it's super mobilizing. And then it becomes a, a, a media post and other people are like, why is Heather in that space and David's there and this, you know, so those are some things that um, just to sell the space and to sell the coffee shop is, uh, we feel like we're mobilizing that. And uh, and part of the business plan was to mobilize people who are affecting the areas of hunger, water, and trafficking. And that's how we ended up in a relationship with PAC H2O that creates um, backpacks that hold water for people in Africa as opposed to carrying a big old jug on their head. And then we built a relationship with Design Outreach who are building wells that go hundreds of feet deeper than the wells that are sitting in Africa now because of their success. Um, and that all of that was that was bred out of people showing up at the Roosevelt and expanding their thought process about how they might be able to be impactful, and then seeing what we were doing, and then, you know, there it goes.
2: Super cool. Maybe the most astounding part of that is that you got five of your friends to sit with you as you threw a puzzle on the table. I have I couldn't, I couldn't pay five of my closest friends to sit there and
1: make a puzzle with me. We had things to doing. talk about. It wasn't the only thing we did.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, and you know, I think that's a great place to wrap up here guys and uh, Kenny, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks for having we really me. I appreciate it. And uh, as usual everybody, we're going to have all the Roosevelt coffee houses links down in the show notes if you want to check them out or you want to go donate to them. Uh, feel free to check out our show notes um, check us out on iTunes share the episode with your friends if you liked it and I'm going to kick it over to Josh for a sign off I ain't got no sign off that's Conquering <laughs> Columbus guys, we'll talk to you later you could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning, but
1: I'll find a way to survive, I'll find a way to get the job done to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is
0: Conquering Columbus.